0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen welcome and thanks for tuning in to the two fit podcast hosted by the two fit guys jake and josh now two fit by definition is actively pursuing a state of health and well-being beyond perceived limitations so if you are looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally physically and everywhere in between then you have come to the right place on the 2FIT podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks of the trade that you can implement, whether you're a world class athlete, weekend warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out the 8 to 5, all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming 2FIT.
1: All right everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Two Fit Podcast. And we are sitting in today with Hannah Crum, Kombucha Camp, aka known as the Kombucha Mama. And we are here today to drop some knowledge on you about all things fermented tea and the health benefits. And so, thank you Hannah for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me here, guys. I'm I'm excited to uh, share this with you. I was it was great to meet you at Paleo Effects.
1: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. We're ready to the show.
0: ready to get nerded out on some kombucha. <laughs> Yeah, this is the first time we've sat down with a brewmaster that uh, doesn't brew beer.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, a non-alcoholic brew.
1: Oh, well, there are there is alcohol in there, right?
2: Trace so, amounts. Yeah, it's a, it's a preservative. Right, all fermented foods are going to create um, some amount of alcohol, and that's because of its inherent function uh, in terms of protecting it from other organisms.
1: Right, but you could never actually get any sort of. Physiological, you know, drunk off of kombucha, or how much would you actually have to drink for that to happen?
2: Uh, We've had many people try, and you literally cannot drink enough kombucha in one (laughs) sitting to even come close. There are some people who say they feel um, the effects, and you know, every body is different, right? Some people can't eat shrimp, some people can't have peanuts. You know, your body's gonna react differently to different things, but many people, when they get that kind of sometimes you get this little like kombucha buzz, this euphoria, it feels fantastic. incredibly short-lived and it's actually really similar to the effect that people get when they get a b vitamin shot so uh, is it the nutrition in a living form that's giving you that little z-z-z, um, or are you incredibly sensitive uh, that's only you can decide that but um but for the most part you know the commercial products out there are all in that uh, under 21 range and you would have to add different types of yeast that yield higher amounts of alcohol in order to get that that much more um you know, eight percent or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, like some of the kombucha beers that are out there.
1: Um, kombucha so yeah, beer. that's not something know, we've we've dived into just yet. Yeah. No.
2: Well, there's a, there's a couple brands. There's um, Unity Vibration out of Michigan does a kombucha beer. And now what we're seeing are a lot of craft breweries partnering with different kombucha companies and uh, creating hybrids together. So um, several different brands have already entered into those types of partnerships for like one-off brews and, and things like that. So um, stay tuned. You might be able to find some in your area too.
0: Mm, interesting. So Hannah, what, what exactly is kombucha?
2: Well, as you mentioned at the top of the show, fermented tea, so yogurt is fermented milk, kombucha is fermented tea, sauerkraut is fermented cabbage. So tea and sugar are used um, as our substrate uh, because, again, sugar is a vital nutrient as well. Um, I know we kind of have an all-or-nothing mentality here in the United States about it, but it's the sugar that helps to feed the organisms that create the fermentation a process. So our culture is called ESCOBI, and that stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast, a pretty straightforward acronym. And it's like a mothership. So the bacteria throw out these nanofibers of cellulose that then bond together to create this skin. And then the longer we leave it in there, the thicker it gets. It's also called a pellicle. And um, this pellicle will have yeast strands depending from it. They'll be living within the pellicle. And then this is like our mothership. So we take this this uh, flexible pancake and move it from batch to batch, and that's what inoculates it with the healthy bacteria and yeast that then turn it into the kombucha.
1: Hmm. Now, it's surprising to me, there's still a lot of confusion out there, I think, about kombucha. Uh, Just to give you an example, I was out, so I had never had kombucha and vodka together until that Paleo FX barbecue, and uh, it it changed my life. But (laughs) uh, we got back to Fort Worth, and, and we went out and had some drinks with a few friends, and... Of course, they didn't have kombucha or anything there, so I ordered just like a vodka soda, and one of my friends who was with me said, oh, you know, a vodka water would be healthier. I said, oh, a vodka kombucha would be even healthier. She's like, kombucha? What's that? that? Is that that new health drink everybody's talking about? And it's just, what... Is it? it I, don't, I don't believe it's new, so maybe you could enlighten us on the actual history of kombucha.
2: Absolutely. You know, um, it's hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. Just like we may or may not fully understand at what point uh, we turned into human beings, uh, we may or may not ever fully know when kombucha came into being. But um, suffice to say, like all fermentation, humans have co-evolved with bacteria. You know, the fridge is a modern invention. It's only been around 150, 200 years. And as much as we think, oh, well, you just put it in the fridge and that's what's going to preserve it, the reality is when we were, you know, more in that paleo phase, so to speak, um, we didn't have refrigeration. We didn't have these things available to us. And so we had to find other techniques in order to preserve foods so that we could consume them at times when there wasn't nutrition readily available. And fermentation is what um, humans – discovered or fell into or who knows how, how that happened exactly but um, it's a very long and ancient tradition and it um, it not only preserves the food, but also makes the nutrients present in it more bioavailable. Fermentation is essentially like a first step of digestion. Um, the, the bacteria get into the elements, and as we're now learning, the bacteria in our gut, this is what they do. Uh, they, they get into the substrate, whatever that might be, and in the case of kombucha, it's the tea and sugar, and they, they digest it. They eat it they turn it into healthy acids they turn it in you know they make they take that vitamin and mineral content and make it even more they increase the amount of it present and so they really do some amazing transformative things and you know think about it like this i know we all think yogurt's something that's been in the grocery store forever but the reality is in the early 20th century yogurt was something that old people in the mountains ate And they live to 100. And so people discovered, oh, what's this food they're eating? They're living to 100. It's yogurt. Um, So people started making it at home. It it was something hippies maybe made back in the 60s and stuff. You know, the hippies are always uh, fomenting all kinds of interesting things, fomenting and fermenting. Um, And then it became a commercial industry. And now it's billions of dollars. And everyone eats yogurt. It's a household product. And we really see kombucha following that same trajectory. It's something that, you know, people have... Revered for a really long time. If you look at some of the old names for kombucha, it's the tea of immortality, the tea of long life, the tea of, you know, it, it always, it either refers to the origin, which is Asian potentially, or the health benefits conferred by it. And it's not to say that kombucha is a cure-all or, you know, drinking kombucha and everything's going to be, um, you're, you know, you don't have to do anything but drink kombucha. That That's not realistic at all, and that's not how human beings were designed. You know, we're designed to consume a large variety of many different types of things um one so that we don't toxify ourselves and two because these trace amounts of nutrition is really what supports our organism
1: Hmm, that's great how about the the actual word kombucha what does that mean where does that come from
2: that's a great question, and you know, I've um, in writing the book, which I co-wrote with my husband and partner um, Alex Lagori. We did a lot of research into, you know, where did this stuff come from? What is this? There's a lot of myths about kombucha. So some people say it harkens back to 221 uh, BC with the Qin Shi Huangdi. That's the Chinese emperor who united the country. Because the Chinese are famous for tea, they're famous for fermentation and they're famous for their quest for longevity elixirs and looking to nature to find those things and uh, they consume something called lingzhi, which when we translate that, um, actually means reishi mushrooms, now here's the confounding thing people have been calling kombucha mushroom tea for a long time but mushroom in this case is a term of convenience Um, it doesn't mean that the culture itself is a mushroom it means that the look of it was like a cap of a mushroom, like the top of a mushroom um, and so there may have been some confusion because they were consuming this, these reishi mushrooms, and this was called mushroom tea. And that's where I think that confusion came in. Um, but of course, I'd love to be uh, to find something that that shows it to, to be different. And then, um, and then there's been other myths along the way. So in Japan, supposedly in 414 AD, there was this emperor Inyoko who was sickly, and uh, uh, there was a doctor who came from Korea, Doctor Kombu. It's, again, a a convenient coincidence because kombu is not a Korean word. It's not a Korean name. So I think, again, this is where the the mythology comes in. But he came and he cured this emperor, and supposedly that's where kombucha came from. Cha means tea. Um, What I really think it comes from, and this is just, you know, I studied Mandarin Chinese and, and love Asian culture. And so I went and I researched this. I went to the UCLA library and I looked up the shijiki, which is the Japanese annals of history, and I found this emperor. Yoko and and there was someone who came from Korea but his name was not kombu and kombu in Japanese refers to a brown seaweed well when we look at the kombucha culture it's the it's the culture and then there's yeast strands hanging off of it and that yeast very often can look brown Maybe, again, kombu in this case is a term of convenience referring to the brown strands of yeast that look very similar to the kombu seaweed, which they also drink as a beverage in, in Japan called kombucha, but it's um, but it refers to the seaweed tea, uh, versus uh, what we call it now kombucha, which is the um, ochakinoko is what they would call it in Japanese, which literally translates to uh, tea fungus.
1: Wow, who knew one word had so much history yeah. to it? You've definitely done your homework. That's awesome.
2: I'm a, I'm a word nerd, you know. I mentioned I studied Mandarin Chinese. I also studied Spanish. I love word origins. Like just digging into the root of these things is so fascinating. Like like a history detective.
1: Well, that's awesome, and it, it definitely shows that you have done your homework. Just in this book here, the Big Book of Kombucha, there's so much great stuff and resources in there. I mean, it's, uh, it's, like it's a it's literally yeah of, a textbook uh, kombucha. On, on kombucha. It's great. Um, and that's
2: because I, we wanted to be a fun textbook, so I'm glad you, you called that word out.
1: <laughs> well, awesome. Um, I, how does – so how did you get into kombucha? How did you get into this? I mean even becoming the kombucha mama sounds like that, that name has to have a story behind it even.
2: Absolutely. You know, um, I like to say kombucha found me. I call it kombucha kismet in the book. Um You know, most people, so let's just back up. Like, most people, the reason they come to kombucha is maybe they have a health challenge. And, you know, they may have been frustrated by um, not getting any forward traction through traditional kind of... um, of, of treatments and so they might look towards you know what are some foods that ancient people ate that might be able to help me and so they they find kombucha they find that kombucha helps them with their health challenge and then this is really where the kind of birth of the commercial industry came from is um and where uh, the vast majority of our producers come from is their direct experience with kombucha inspires them to want to then go out and share that with the world and this is you know, what's driving this whole industry forward. It's very uh, small family businesses and people who care about their community. You know, there's a real, in this day and age, to have a job where you can serve your community but also make a living and, and just feel really good about what you're doing is, is kind of a rare commodity. Um, but for me, my, my process was different. I didn't have a specific health concern, and it was more just I went to San Francisco, the hub of all things Groovy, of course, mm-hmm. and I, vis- I was visiting a friend from college, and his uh, – they happened to be brewing kombucha is one of the many things that they were doing there. And this was back in the early 2000s when I was still very much standard American diet, you know, microwave my food, my, uh, eating ramen and cereal, you know, kind of the post-college, uh, eating style there. And I had never heard of it and we didn't even taste it, but they showed me their box and jars and this weird stuff floating in there. And it's just that word kombucha, just like, it's funny and it sticks in your mind. Um, and so I went home to LA, uh, and the great thing is the you, I go to Whole Foods and there, lo and behold, there's an entire case of kombuchas. And so I grab one off the shelf, I crack it open, and I take a sip and, you know... Considering I'm now the kombucha mama, in retrospect, of course, that moment was uh, divine in the sense that, you know, the lights were shining down, the angels were singing, and and every nerve ending in my body was just electrified because it had this sour, tangy, delicious flavor. You know, a lot of people in our society would find that uh, an offensive flavor, and you see people do that sourpuss kombucha face but for me i was the kid drinking the the in the pickle juice out of the pickle jar even though my mom was yelling at me not to do it so i just i love that flavor and because it was that living nutrition and so much of our food supply is dead or lacks vitality or doesn't really um have the nutrition that you know our ancestors consumed right and so to have something that just gave you that instant palpable feeling of like yes um, was really exciting for me. But like many, uh, my thirst quickly outgrew my budget. It's not exactly an inexpensive product, and for good reasons. It's, it's something that takes time. It's craft. It's, uh, it's a very different process than making most types of beverages. And um, since I had seen them making their own, I was like, well, I'll just make my own. I'll just figure it out. So I go to the library, check out every book. I, I sourced um, uh, cultures locally and just started brewing it up my husband thought I was crazy, right? Because again, I wasn't the cook uh, and it was a little outside of my comfort zone, but I just I like, kept at it. And I'll have to say those first few brews probably weren't my best. <laughs> and, uh, he wasn't really into it until I finally created a flavor that he loved. It's in the book. It's one of the, you know, 260 flavoring inspirations in there, the pink lemonade, which is a strawberry lemon thyme. And when I made that flavor, I got him hooked and, uh, he had quite a positive transformation as a result of drinking the kombucha. He, he went from taking a nightly antacid pill to not needing one at all after about two weeks and you know the information that we're kind of learning now is that um, indigestion I mean heartburn isn't actually needing a base to tamp that down it's an indicator that you need more acid in your body so it makes sense consuming a you know somewhat vinegary product or tangy product is going to have a positive effect on that.
0: Yeah that's great because I hear so many people recommend to others about if they have like acid reflux or stuff, they take things to combat your acid reflux when really you might need some more HCL or some more acid in general. Um, what are, I know we've kind of touched on a few, but what are some of the key health benefits of drinking kombucha? Because I've even read like it can ward off uh, radiation exposure.
2: Well, yes. And so before we go to that fantastical conclusion, uh, we'll talk about why it's able to do so much. And, you know, the top three things that people say it helps them with is it improves digestion, it improves digestion, increases energy, and just makes them feel good, which in this day and age is is saying something. Um, But let's, again, we've mentioned it already, it's made from tea. If you look at the research done on tea, it's high in polyphenols, antioxidants, it's vitamin C. It also um, has known anti-cancer properties, known um, cholesterol-lowering properties, weight management, etc., etc. So you're starting with something that already has this great functionality to it. Then we're adding the fermentation process, which makes all of that more bioavailable. Your body can absorb it more easily. It's increasing the amount of vitamins. And then it's also creating these healthy acids. It's really these healthy acids in kombucha that are part of its secret to success. You know, so much of what we take these days in terms of, you know, medications or treatments is to deal with a symptom as opposed to the root cause. And, you know, look, Hippocrates figured it out hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, you know, everything begins in the gut. And so when you start to dig into and really get into those underlying causes, you realize that so many of these things that seem like disparate illnesses are actually symptoms of the same type of disbalance, imbalance. Um, But back to those healthy acids. So kombucha makes gluconic and glucuronic acid. These acids are also produced by your liver. And their function is that when you come, the liver is your filter. So when you're consuming foods or alcohol or um, pharmaceuticals, anything that's going to have an intense impact on the body is going to go to the liver first, and the liver is going to try to minimize that negative impact on your body, but what happens is it wears down the liver. This is like when drinking alcohol. The reason you end up with a hangover the next day is when you overconsume alcohol and your body can't, uh, your liver can't clean that out quickly enough, you you feel terrible, and it's because you're lacking the vitamins, you know, you don't have the support your body needs. Which is why kombucha makes a fantastic mixer. Um, But these acids, uh, what they do is they'll bond to the toxic molecules and then instead of then storing them in your fat so that you end up uh, bioaccumulating them over time, they're released through hydrolysis or urination is another way to say that. Um, So basically it just helps you pee out the yucky stuff. Well, what happens is because in our current um, climate, right, there's pollution in the air, there's pollution in the water, there's pollution in the food, there's pollution in the beauty products. I mean, our bodies are literally inundated with toxic chemicals every single day. What, there's like... 8,000 different chemicals that that people are putting into things. And, you know, your body only produces so much and it can't keep up. And so that filter over time starts to clog and get bogged down. And again, when we realize that our mental health, our emotional health, and our physical health all come from our gut health and, and a healthy liver... I mean, it's called a liver, after all. It helps you live. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense why when you start consuming something that directly goes to help clear it out, that directly goes to help remove those in, in, a, in a positive way, that then you start to feel good again.
1: So what's the one ailment that you find yourself recommending kombucha for more than any other?
2: I mean, there isn't one. It's, and again, it's and here's the other thing. Trust your gut. That means don't do what I do, don't eat what I eat. Do what the biofeedback your body tells you is appropriate for your body. And this is something that we're not trained to do in our culture, right? We People are eating all kinds of toxic foods, complaining about how awful they feel, and they never connect the dots between those two. Now, I think that's changing, thanks in a large part to, of course, these paleo and these other kind of movements that are happening, raising people's awareness. The Human Microbiome Project is exciting and tremendous because you know it's demonstrating how vital it is we have this diverse, robust Environment inside of our bodies. Um, but um, so there isn't one thing I would say kombucha helps with. I think it helps with a lot of different things, but how it's going to work for you is going to be different from how it works for me, is going to be different from how it works for somebody else.
0: Now, how about these different ingredients that we all see on the shelves of our local stores in the kombucha? You know, so we'll see like the turmerics and the gingers and hibiscus and all these different flavors but they're more than flavors they're uh you know you even see like greens with kombucha mm-hmm. um where when you get into that what kind of kind of um expand on the different ingredients in different kombuchas
2: absolutely you know um so kombucha is an acetic acid ferment like vinegar. That's what gives it its tanginess. Now, because the American palate is so over sugarfied you'll find many brands try to bridge that or they shy away from the sour side. They want to try to get more people into the category, so they go for a lighter profile or a sweeter flavor, and that's fantastic because drinking any kombucha is going to have a much better um, effect on your body than a sugary soda or a high-calorie energy drink or anything like that. Um, but it is an acetic acid ferment, and so just like vinegar, it is already known to extract the nutritional properties of whatever you're infusing into it. Um, that's what kombucha does, is it's going to pull the nutritional benefit from whatever you're, inf- you're infusing it with and pass that on to you. And in terms of flavoring, less is more. You know, again, we have this uh, inverted thought process here in the United States that more is better, more is what we need, more things, more stuff, consume, consume, consume. The reality is humans are way happier and do far better when less less is present but it's also high quality and so that's what kombucha does is it delivers um, trace amounts but in that living form that your body has evolved to recognize and instantly utilize and so um, you know the most popular flavor of kombucha by far is going to be ginger uh, humans and ginger have a really happy relationship we, we really love each other and before prohibition ginger beer was the most popular beverage and in fact that's what inspired ginger ale the soda um, was the fact that, that humans just drank a lot of that and so ginger kombucha is the most popular it's going to help soothe your tummy it's going to you know improve digestion it's also anti-inflammatory um, so you're going to get all that in your booch Um, And then the next flavors after that are the berry flavors. People love the fruits. And, of course, they're high in antioxidants. They're high in all of those beautiful purple anthocyanins and things like that. So um, you're going to get a lot of great things when you start playing around with them. And in the book... The 260 inspirations, like we go the whole gamut. We go fruity. We go spicy with like habanero and jalapenos. We've got um, umami flavors like the the mushroom and the bacon. And that might not seem a natural pairing for a beverage you'd want to drink. But again, considering kombucha has got that vinegary uh, thing, it can pair really well with savory. And, uh, you know, porktinis are one of my favorite mixed drinks mm-hmm. um, if you can find anyone who's made some some bacon kombucha. Um, and then some of my favorite blends are like the Ayurvedic or the medicinal. And they have have numerous like a a large amount of different types of herbs and when you those are like what I consider the advanced recipes and if you try one of those The flavor is so subtle and complex and very different. Um, It's really quite delicious. And I love infusing flowers into my kombucha too. You know, humans have been picking up herbs or plants or anything off the side of the road or whatever was around them and fermenting them or turning them into medicinal teas and things. And, you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom in the plants. And and when we drink our plants, uh, we get another delivery system for that nutrition and wisdom.
1: My gosh, you're making me thirsty here, and all those I'm recipes are right in the now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Bacon right. infused. I'll definitely second second on the the ginger. That's that's by far my favorite. I love it, but I, I do want to track back to the the sugar content we're talking about, just because I've conditioned myself. You know, I follow a very high fat diet, and of course, you know, paleo ish as well, um, diet. <clears throat> and so I've been conditioned to every time I, I pick up something up, I'm always looking at the sugar and carbohydrate content. Mm-hmm. Now, say on most of the kombuchas out there, you'll see anywhere from, like, two to eight mm-hmm. uh, grams of sugar per, like, eight ounces. Is that something that consumers should be, should be worried about?
2: Well, you know, you bring up a, a kind of a philosophical point here, and that is, um, I mean, there's, there's a benefit to knowing this information, and there's a detriment. Because mm-hmm. we live and we die by the numbers. The reality is we need to be listening to how our bodies react to the things we're putting into them right? That's the biofeedback loop. And if you consume a kombucha and maybe it has a higher sugar grams than what you're looking for, but the net benefit that you receive from it is good, then then you're worrying about the wrong thing in that case. Now, if you're consuming a soda that has no nutritional value, absolutely be looking at the sugar grams and making sure you know what is that sugar coming from. And, that, and that's our philosophy of consider the source. Um, where are these things coming from? When you consume nutrient-dense foods, they might have a much higher caloric value, but the net overall benefit to your body is is better than just the calories in, calorie out kind of simplified, oversimplified um, in our unsophisticated way of thinking about food. So it really comes down to when you put something in your mouth, how the heck does it make you feel later? And I think kombucha is something that can help people to start to feel that again because we're so disconnected from our bodies um, and we're taught not to listen to our instincts or to trust our guts. And you know, your gut has far more neurotransmitters than your brain does. Um, I even position i think the gut is your first brain and um you know because if your gut is out of balance you have brain fog you can't think as clearly and your emotions and all kinds of things are impacted by what it is you're putting into your body and you know we've been sold this this kind of uh you know if it's cheap and easy then it's you know just eat it but the net effect it has on our bodies is really detrimental and i think has led to such a high incidence of all these illnesses we're seeing so um that, so consider the source is what I would say and focus on that biofeedback and how does it make you feel.
0: Couldn't agree more. Is, is there a limit to how much you should drink in a day? Because I know Jake and I drink probably kombucha on it almost every day. And uh-huh. and we'll even tailor it to our specific needs. Like we were talking there about the different ingredients and tonics. You know, if it's in the morning, I might have like a super greens, like with some, uh, the spirulina and chlorella for like added amino acids and a little protein. From the greens, and then after a meal, it may be the ginger to help kind of break down um, some of that food and kind of coat the stomach a little bit. And um, then if it's just like a casual drink, I had a hibiscus sangria the other day that was Mm. really good. Um, But is there can you can you drink too much kombucha?
2: I mean, can you eat too much meat? Can you uh, overconsume broccoli? At a certain point, your body's like, okay, I've had enough. Now here's the thing: we all, you know, people have been hammering this water, 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 water. Humans didn't drink water. You couldn't drink the water. There were things floating in it that gave you dysentery and stuff like that. We would ferment the water or we'd add vinegar to the water. So the reality is consuming kombucha and other traditionally fermented beverages is more in alignment with what people consumed anyways. I mean part – and here's the funny thing right you know there's all when you start to get educated about diet and food and then you look back to when you were a kid and kind of the choices you made instinctually like I never liked water it didn't taste good to me and what I'm realizing is because it was lacking minerals it was lacking flavor you know the water that we get out of the tap today has been you know processed and chemicals are added to it and neurotoxins you know and all kinds of crud is in there lead sometimes depending on where the heck you live you know if you ferment that water if you're you know if you're shifting it and adding minerals and nutrients to it that's something that's supplying you more than with just hydration, it's also replenishing that homeostasis so um, can you drink too much if you do and you're new to kombucha you might end up in the bathroom and that's that biofeedback that's your body saying hey slow down I'm not quite ready for this everything's on the bell curve right yeah well we got a lot of crud to move out of here but if you're someone whose body's adapted to it and it sounds like you, you guys are then you know if it makes you feel good consume it um At this point, we haven't seen any negative effects, and it's an adaptogen. Right? So just like ginger, just like ginseng, these are elements that are non-toxic, they're non-specific, meaning they don't just work for one part of the body, and they also promote balance and homeostasis. You know, The reality is we're going to experience stress every single day, but how your body is set up to handle that stress will, will impact your health in different ways. Right, When we're in positions where our defenses are down, we're weaker, our cortisol levels are going to be increased by this stress, whereas if we've been consuming a healthy, balanced diet... Uh, we might be exposed to that same amount of stress, but not have that same negative impact.
1: Well, we're still kind of on the, the health benefits of kombucha. Let's go back to kind of what we what we were talking about earlier about the radiation and, and that sort of thing. What are some of the, the weirder health benefits of it? Like, I've even, I think I saw on on one of your Facebook pages, somebody had a, a melanoma or a mole, and they put their SCOBY on there and after you know a couple weeks of that it ended up the mole basically just flaked off
2: you know, and this is this is what's kind of fascinating. Do we totally understand why it does those things? Maybe, maybe not yet. You know, one of the knocks on kombuchas, there's no research, but that's hogwash. There's plenty of research on kombucha. It just isn't coming out of the United States. And so those studies you're referring to specifically in terms of the radiation, uh, that was gamma radiation. There's also some, um, you know, part of why GT started his whole brand was because his mom went, had cancer, went through chemo. She drank kombucha through it and felt that it really hastened her recovery and allowed her to um rebuild her energy and health much more quickly. So and some of these studies, like they're not always necessarily in humans, but they might be in cells. So in terms of the one you're referring to with the radiation, they expose different cells to radiation. And the cells that had um, kombucha first, were able to minimize the amount of damage to their mitochondria uh, as a result of being exposed to that radiation. There's also a study out of Egypt in regards to EMFs showing that kombucha can have a protective effect against the damage potentially caused by those types of waves. Um, it also helps to remove environmental toxins. And, and like you said, the topical uses are, again, tip of the iceberg. Um, in Brazil, they've developed a product called Dermafil, which is a living bandage. So folks who have, you know, um, burn wounds or, or large open wounds that maybe need to be dressed frequently, by dressing it with a bacterial cellulose similar to what the kombucha culture makes, there's a couple of benefits. It's porous. Oxygen can get through, so you don't need to change the bandages as much. It kind of adheres to the skin similar to a second skin and almost like... It's like a pre made scab in a way, and it still allows for that healing process to occur. As I mentioned before, the low pH and healthy acids kill pathogenic organisms on contact. And so, you know, it's not to say it's not going to sting. Iodine stings. It might not be uh, pleasant, but it's also going to protect that area from any potential negative side effects. And then we're seeing bacterial cellulose being shaped into stents, into different pieces that maybe go into the body different from a plastic or some kind of foreign substance. We're also seeing NASA shooting kombucha um, out into space, the SCOBYs, because if um, if astronauts can bring something with them that they can create polymers and fabrics out of, that's going to be um, lighter weight and easier for them to transport. We're seeing in University of Iowa they're creating, and this is just you know piggybacking on the work of Suzanne Lee and other folks who are creating vegan leather out of this stuff. So the bacterial cellulose that the kombucha culture makes is going to end up having so many uses. You can even eat it so in the book we have uh, recipes for eating the kombucha culture, and the scoby fruit leather is by far one of the most popular uses. Wow. Um, you know the the benefit to consuming bacterial cellulose is it's insoluble fiber. That means your body can't digest it. But what it does is it acts like a broom, and on its way out it sweeps out excess sugar, excess hormones like cholesterol and things like that. And it just you know, and then you're also having the amount of fruit and sugar you're using, but still have a delicious taste. And, you know, it's not just humans who love this stuff. Animals. How the heck does an animal know that a scoby is good for them? They have no clue, but their instinct is the chickens will fight over it. Um, You can put this in the animal feed. Imagine if we could replace the antibiotics being used with probiotics, with something like a kombucha. I mean, I think every farmer out there should be... Brewing kombucha to sell, using the fruits of their farm to flavor it, taking the byproducts. The tea is high in nitrogen. It's a great compost. You also have the scobies that then can go and feed the animals or or whatever else. And there's just a lot of net benefit out of all of it.
0: Wow, that's incredible. No, any of that. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, I mean, the vegan leather kind of stood out too and going to space. I mean, that's, that's really cool. Good grief! Yeah. Now, no. like
2: leather, they have to figure out a way to cure it, and hopefully, you can do that without a bunch of chemicals. But you know, but there are potential uses for it. There's even like a kombucha couture company out there that makes fashion designs and people making jewelry out of it. So, who knows where we're gonna go with this stuff, guys? They'll,
1: they'll be using it for fuel here soon mm-hmm. or something.
2: Yeah, totally. And you could create this off of waste streams from other, um, you know, there's like sugary waste streams that then could be used just to propagate the cellulose itself. Oh my so. Gosh.
1: So many business talking, ideas right now. <laughs> I
2: know, we're talking about you know snout to tail, right? This is this is a product that can be used in every single format and has a benefit with everything it touches.
0: Awesome. Now, you know we've heard a lot from people like, oh, well it's so expensive. It's you know three to four dollars a bottle. I mean, so how can people make their own kombucha? What's the cost benefit? Um, what's the difference in making it at home? I mean, obviously, that's why you came out with the book. And, um, what, what does that look like? I think a lot of people probably think, oh, make it, and we haven't done this yet. It's, it's a new project for us. We're going to do, but, uh, make our own kombucha. How, just walk us through that process. One, kind of the cost as well. Um, and then h- what does that look like?
2: Absolutely. So, um, you know, this is something that people made at home all the time. And I just want to say something right here because um, there's a lot of people who fear kombucha. There's a lot of negative information, especially in the mainstream media, that's like, oh, well, only drink a commercial brand because making it at home, you could expose yourself to contamination. Um, Think about it like this. If humans have been consuming this for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, they've likely been making it in conditions that would not necessarily meet our current uh, thought process about sanitary conditions, and yet – it's been revered and it's been perpetuated throughout all this time we can only imagine that um, there must be something safe about it and easy to use because if it were dangerous we would have chucked it on the compost pile ages ago and nobody would be drinking this stuff so i just want to dispel any kind of fear about it right there the reason we're afraid of it is because it's unusual and weird now in terms of the cost i mean your 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 hard costs are going to be tea and sugar, which are incredibly inexpensive um, commodities, and you can get really quality stuff out there at an affordable price. Organic tea, organic sugar. We always recommend organic because the whole point is we're trying to minimize the pesticides, not only in our bodies but on the planet. Now, of course, you can make it with Liptons and white sugar, and many people have, and you're still going to get a benefit from it. But um, if we can choose better ingredients, we want to do that. Um,
0: in so terms could, of, in- yeah. So could you could you actually steep? Um, say like a Numi tea, like which is a brand that that uh, we like, um, like a Numi or traditional medicinals, like any like the Puer or Green or any of those, and use that with the scoby.
2: Yes and no. So here's my caveat is. Um tea which is camellia sinensis is what the culture feeds on and traditionally it was black tea these days it can be any kind of tea black tea green tea white tea pu'er tea like you mentioned when we're first making our first batches we always want to stick to just plain unflavored tea and sugar and the reason for that is the culture is highly reproductive you know every single batch you make you're going to get a new scoby and so the investment into a quality culture is really small when you consider you get a lifetime of use out of it right um so there's no reason not to invest in a quality culture from a reputable supplier. Or if you've got a friend who's making it and, you know, you trust the, their process and everything's going great, um, getting it that way is, is terrific, too. You know, you want to be aware of the folks out there who are selling them for really cheap and you don't know what kind of conditions they're grown in. Are they even using organic ingredients? You know, so that, that always is a question mark. And then some folks will try to grow them from products, which used to be something you could do. But as we mentioned earlier, in 2010, people had to reformulate. They had to shift their process. and You know, what that means is it's not the same diversity of organisms per se. Um, You can still grow a SCOBY from a lot of those. And, in fact, we consider that to be a really great test to validate any brand you're consuming. If it can grow a culture, then it's going to have the healthy elements present that you're looking for. Um, But many people have commented when they use those cultures... The flavor isn't as good and they they tend to be weaker over time. So get get yourself an authentic culture. Do yourself the favor and you'll save a bunch of time too. You won't have to wait for that process.
1: So not Um, recommended to grow your own SCOBY at home?
2: I mean do it as an experiment. Have fun with it. You know what I mean? Try it side by side with another culture and see what the difference is. I mean, this is the fun part of getting into the hobby of kombucha, which is all the experimentation. Um, But definitely you want to stick with tea and sugar at first. Now, because they're reproductive, you're going to have extra scobies. You want a hibiscus kombucha? You want a um, coffee kombucha? You want a kombucha with these traditional medicinals in it? Go for it. Um, Because if if the culture fails to reproduce, you haven't lost anything – because you always have your mother in the tea and sugar, and she's going to make more babies for you. So um, so that's the reasoning behind that. But absolutely, this this technology is flexible, it's exciting, it's experimental. I mean, does it create the same healthy acids? Does it have the same health benefits? We just don't have enough research at this time to know for certain. But um, suffice to say, the culture is good, and if it's fermenting those things and making you know elements more bioavailable, you can only imagine that it's going to be a positive, uh, positive effect for you. So um, it's one of the really fun things about home brewing is you get to experiment so much. Now, the other thing you get when you brew it at home is you have the full complement of elements present. Um, so, yeast makes alcohol, and in kombucha we have a bell curve. So the yeast. And it's the symbiosis, right? The symbiosis in this case doesn't mean kumbaya. Uh, it's not like, oh, we're all just getting along here. But um, there's healthy competition. And so we as the brewers, we're the stewards of that balance. We're the ones who help to maintain that balance. And so the bacteria and yeast are always in competition. The thing is, there's wild yeast everywhere. And so we really want to nurture the bacteria side to help keep those yeast in control. Um, but what happens is, that the yeast starts eating the sugar right away. It takes that sucrose and breaks it down into fru- fructose and glucose. It breaks it into to those um, monosaccharide components. So it it ends up having a lower glycemic impact on the body because it's already pre-digested those sugars. Um, But it creates ethanol as a byproduct as well as CO2, your bubbles. Now the bacteria come in and they consume the ethanol. They convert the ethanol from um, from alcohol into healthy acids. And so it goes up and it comes right back down. And um, so you get the higher quantity of these acids the longer you ferment the product. Now the trade-off there is it's going to get more tangy and more sour. So you might want to coach your palate a little bit. So at first you might be harvesting it when it's still a little bit sweeter. And then when you start to get used to it, your body's going to crave the sour anyways. You know, our bodies love sour and bitter. It's just this over that's thrown us out of whack.
1: Now, how long does this process actually take from when I, I have my, my SCOBY to a full batch of kombucha?
2: um, anywhere from seven to 14 days. That's depending on your brewing conditions and your taste preference. So the warmer it is yeast love warm temperatures, right? We're, we're closer, um, phylogenically to yeast than we are to bacteria, even though bacteria make up, um, you know, they're more than 50% uh, of our, of the things living in our body. Um, but, uh, Yeast like these warm temperatures, and so the warmer it is, the faster that fermentation will occur. Um, And then again, just depending on your taste preference, if you like it tangier, you're going to let it go longer. If you like it sweeter, you'll let it go shorter. I mean, for instance, in Russia, they didn't have soda pop, right? Uh, They didn't have it until the 80s or something like that. Um, And uh, so what they did instead is they would ferment the kombucha, but they'd leave it on the sweeter side, and that for them was their soda pop.
0: And then when do you go about adding the ingredients to secondary fermentation? Secondary, okay.
2: Yeah, and the reason for that, again, is we're protecting the mother culture. You know, some, like, let's say you did a chai. Um, That clove or that, you know, whatever else is in there, they can have some antibacterial effects, and they may minimize the production of the culture, and you don't want to do that with your one and only culture. And so um, we tend to take the culture out, add the flavoring, let it infuse for a couple of days, and then either you start drinking it immediately, or if you're going to bottle age it for a longer period of time, you would then strain that plant material out put it back in the bottle. It's still going to have that flavor, but if we leave that stuff in too long, you know, seven days, 14 days, it's going to start to degrade and the flavors will, will go off.
0: So, so the SCOBY sits in the jar with like the tea and the sugar. Is that right? Yes, that, that is and correct. And that kind of always stays by itself.
2: Well, so, so let me just break down the whole process for you. Um, so... We brew up sweet tea, and our recipe, which you can find at kombuchacamp.com, that's camp with a K, Uh, we've got a free DIY guide, brewing logs, you just download all that stuff, we give you the recipe so you can figure this out at home, but basically, we do what's called a shortcut method, as I said before, the yeast like warm temperatures, but not boiling hot. And so we do four cups of water to make our tea. We steep that tea, which is four to six tea bags or four to six tablespoons of loose leaf tea. We do that for about 15 minutes. We then strain the tea out or take those tea bags out. We add our cup of sugar immediately. So it's one cup of sugar per gallon. And yes, the sugar is really important. Uh, I know you're probably thinking, oh, one cup, that's a lot of sugar. But the reality is when you drink the kombucha, it's not going to be sweet. Um, Or it's the teaspoon of sugar that helps the medicine go down. It's got that nice, sweet, sour flavor. So you stir that into the hot water. That's going to dissolve quickly. Then we bring the temperature down of that hot water quickly by adding cold water. So we fill the rest of the vessel up with cold water until we're about a gallon or just under if you're using a gallon vessel. You just put your hand in there. Make sure that it's not too hot. and um, And then you float your culture in there with at least one cup of starter liquid. And it goes on top. Because it's going to, before all of the tea has acidified to that low pH, which will drop within the first three days, um, it needs to protect it. Because sweet tea, as you can imagine, is a delicious substrate for all kinds of things, including mold and stuff like that. So we put the culture in. It acts like a lid. We put the starter liquid on top. Now, the culture could sink. It could float. It could be doing belly flops. It does not matter. It doesn't mean the culture is dead. Um, The new layer is always going to form across the top. So the mother can be anywhere in the vessel. Um, And then for your next batch, you always want to take that starter liquid right from the top. Don't drain it down and then use the dregs because that's where all the yeast live, and you'll throw your your kombucha out of balance. But that's it. We then put our cloth cover on it. The cloth cover, no cheesecloth. It's too loose a weave. It'll let the fruit flies in. You don't want those in your brew. Um, Unless you want extra protein, it's really up to you. But uh, most people don't. So, you know, that cloth cover, you want a tightly woven, breathable cloth. This could be an old sheet. This could be an old T-shirt. Of course, we do also have um, caps that we've custom made that are really cute or whatever. But you just put that on there with a rubber band, and then you put it in a nice warm place. So kombucha like 75 to 85, with 80 being the sweet spot. Now, you can still brew when it's slightly on the cooler side, but if it's too cold, what happens is it may not be able to acidify quickly enough, and you leave yourself vulnerable to mold um and so once it's in that ideal conditions then it's just tasting it so start tasting it at around five days see if it has a sweet sour balance you like if it's still too sweet let it go longer if it's already tangy enough for you just know next time you'll want to shorten your brewing
0: time and hannah you offer a whole like diy kit over at kombucha right like super simple for people to kind of get started
2: Absolutely. So we have DIY kits for the batch process, and then our favorite way to make kombucha is continuous brew. It's the easiest, safest, healthiest way. So I just described batch brew to you. Now let me share with you what continuous is like. So in continuous, we're using a larger vessel, right? In the, in the batch process, we have about 90% sweet tea, 10% starter liquid, and then it takes that 7 to 14 days, depending on your conditions and taste preference. In continuous brew, we're doing a larger batch, typically a 2-gallon batch, up to about 5 gallons, and then it's going to take a little longer for that first process to occur. And we scale, of course, 2 cups of sugar, um, you know, 2 cups of starter liquid, 2 scobies, everything. Once that first batch is completed... And it usually is in a vessel with a spigot. You can taste as frequently as you like from the spigot. But when it has a sweet-sour balance you like, instead of draining the entire vessel as we do in batch, we only take out 25%, which in a two-gallon vessel is half a gallon. So that's going to be five or six of those 16-ounce bottles you're buying at the store. You put your flavors in the bottle. You give it a nice stir right before you decant. That allows the yeast to float into the liquid. That means then you'll get yeast in your bottle, which will build your carbonation and give you some additional nutrition. So you do that, you take out those um, four to five bottles, you set them aside. Um, I still recommend making your sweet tea in a one-gallon batch. You put half of it in your vessel, half goes in the fridge. And the reason it goes in your fridge is because now that we've left 75% already fermented kombucha in the vessel it only takes a couple of days for that sweet tea to then turn into the flavor that you like. And so in this way, you'll get at least two pours a week, sometimes more than that just depending on, again, your taste preference and brewing conditions. And here's the benefit. So safest in the sense that um, we don't ever take the cultures out. We clean it out once every three to six months. So there's less handling of the cultures. There's less risk of contamination. They're always in a pH-protected environment, so you reduce the potential for mold. Um because you're clean, everything comes out of the spigot, there's no extra funnels, there's no lifting, there's a lot less mess in terms of the bottling process. And also, you only clean it once every three to six months, so that streamlines. You save a lot of time by not having to clean it every time. Um, it's the healthiest because those healthy acids I mentioned before on that bell curve typically are in their highest quantities at the 15-day mark and, again, at the 30-day mark. Now, most of us in a one-gallon batch for 30 days are not going to like the flavor of that. And so the benefit is is that we've got Uh, The longer fermentation happening in the majority of the kombucha, we're tempering it with the sweet tea. And there's some early studies showing that when we add that sweet tea to the kombucha that's already fermented, we allow for the potential of those healthy acids to increase because we're re-spiking it with more um, glucose and fructose. This is why we say continuous is the easiest, safest, healthiest way to brew. And if you go to our website, you'll see the review. So many people, they've never brewed kombucha. They give this a try. And, again, it's like your Vitamix or your dehydrator. You're going to invest a little money up front, but you're going to save so much money on the back end because your continuing costs are only going to be the tea and sugar. And you will literally get a lifetime supply out of it, and and it's super easy, and we make it – we have videos that go with it. We, we fully support you through the process. So um, definitely give that a try or check that out if you're, if you're wanting to have your own supply of kombucha handy.
1: That sounds great. And that sounds great for, for people like myself and Josh here. We love brewing our own stuff at home and experimenting. And, you know, I make my own ghee and that sort of thing. And I'm all about saving a dollar, too. But what for people who who aren't or might not have the money, or or they have the money, they don't have the patience, whatever it is, to brew at home, what are some of your favorite and most trusted brands out there on the shelf?
2: Absolutely. Well, um, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but uh, my husband and I also founded Kombucha Brewers International, which is the trade association um, serving the kombucha industry. And so what's really exciting is how quickly this has grown. I always say try your local brands. Try what's local to your area. Those folks are Typically small family businesses. They're going to have, you know, sometimes they're doing really seasonal local flavors that maybe you can only get in small batches. So start there. And then whenever I travel, I look for some of my favorite um, national brands. So some of those are um, GT's is is a great one because he's everywhere. You can find his stuff uh, almost everywhere. If even if you can't find another kombucha. health aid is one of my favorites they're here out of la but also national high country if you like more of kind of a, a lighter flavor is really good um if you're in the southeast Bucci is one of my favorites it's got that sour punch you in the mouth flavor and they do a lot of herbal um they like roast their own herbs and things like that so you know it's really and then if you're up in the pacific northwest hum and brew doctor out of uh oregon are really fantastic as well so and then what's really cool in Texas is Texas is actually one of the bigger states where we see lots of local brands. So whether that's Buddha's Brew or Live Soda, which is a really fantastic brand for folks who are wanting to transition away from diet sodas. Um, it's got a lighter profile, and it's also sweetened with Stevia, which um, some people – that that flavor really harkens to the, those diet soda flavors sometimes. And and that was actually the impetus why he started the brand was to create a product that would help his own family members uh, kick their soda habits. So, um, you know, it's – and, and, you know, there's so many brands, I can't even uh, begin to mention them all. But, you know, here's the other thing. If you try a brand and you're like, oh, this isn't for me, try a different one. You know, there's going to be a brand and a flavor out there that fits you. And for some people, they don't like kombucha, and that's perfectly fine. You know, not everybody has to has to eat all the things, right? So, um, you know, trust your gut, listen to your body, and, and find what works for you.
0: Well, Hannah, where can uh – people find out a little bit more about you stay up to date on all the kombucha news and tips and information uh social media on facebook or twitter or instagram any of those
2: all of those and they're all kombucha camp that's camp with a k because i'm cute and clever in case you haven't (laughs) figured that out by now um but (laughs) but yeah uh, kombucha camp.com camp with a k we've got youtube we've got instagram twitter facebook we also have a great facebook support group um we, Kombucha Brewers International is online at kombuchabrewers.org. If you're, if you're like the many people who are, have entered this industry, you have a passion for this, you want to take it to your community, come check us out. We've got great resources. We're advocating for the industry, and we're, we're doing some lobbying coming up in September. Um, I'm still on book tours, so um, you can also find where I'm going to be on the website as well. you want to get your book signed in person or come meet the kombucha mama definitely invite you to come out and um i'm all about the hugs and the love so uh bring me your bacteria i want them
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love it that's the best tagline i think i've heard great well thanks so much for taking the time man. we've really enjoyed this and we have our, our homework cut out for us now
2: Absolutely, and next time I'm in Texas, I'm going to come try some of your brew.
1: Absolutely, we'll make it happen.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for for having me on the show, guys, and uh, really looking forward to talking to you again sometime.
0: Sounds great. Definitely. Thanks, Hannah. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Two Fit USA, the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the Two Fit Guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at 2FitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to 2FitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1. That's F-I-T-1 at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, 2FitUSA.com, under the podcast and Products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all 2Fit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and until next time.